Good evening, New Genesis Christian Worship Center. Welcome to a Wednesday night Bible study. My name is Damon. It's a pleasure to be with you all once again to study the Word of God and a pleasure to be with all of you who are visiting us, who may be watching us via Facebook or YouTube. I welcome you as well. So excited that you have decided to join us for our um, Bible study as we continue on in Romans chapter 9. We are nearing the end of Romans chapter 9. We have just a few more verses left, but I hope that you have enjoyed our um, teaching series going line by line, precept upon precept in the, the book of Romans. I hope that you have found it very impactful and I hope that it's answered some of your questions concerning the nature of man and why things are persisting the way that they are as it relates to evil in this world and what God has said about those things. Uh, the book of Romans is very imperative for all believers to fully understand because it will help us to overcome the struggles of life and it will help us to really um, drive closer to preaching the word of God to those who are perishing. So before we get started, let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you this evening for this great opportunity to come and study your word. I pray tonight that you will speak volume to us, that you will lead and guide us into all truth, and you give us strength to our minds, our body, and our soul right now, that we may remain focused and hear what you have to say. These things I ask in Jesus Christ's name, amen and amen. We're going to go ahead and dive right on in. And in our tonight's study, in Romans chapter 9, upon last week, we looked at verses uh, 21 through 25. We understood some very key things within uh, those particular phrases, and, and more importantly, that God is the creator, and he has the right to do what he wishes, wishes with his creation. So uh, our title that we talked about last week was that God is the potter, and we human beings are his clay. And um, God calls us that because our existence came from uh, the dust of the earth, the ground, the earth. And, and so God tells us in his word that he can do whatever he wishes with us because he is sovereign. Now, the nature and character of God tells us that everything that he does is right. So we don't have to worry about God doing something to us that is unrighteous. And also, we we have to realize that as the creator, as God, he has infinite wisdom. So the things that he allows goes far beyond our head and our comprehension. And so when we put all of that into context, we we, we, we should come to the place where uh, blaming God for all of the problems in the world should not be something that is named among us. You know, um, there are going to be things that happen to us that seem like it's not right. Evil will come upon on every single human being. That's just the nature of life itself. But when we realize that the very fact that we are who we are is because of choice, that God himself will allow these choices to happen, whether it be a righteous decision or an unrighteous decision, all of those things are allowed. But in the midst of those choices that every human being makes that will impact themselves and others, God says he still is sovereign over those things. So even though we may question why the evil happens to us at times, because no one never questions why good happens to them, they always question why evil happens. Even in those moments, God is still sovereign. God is still able to turn that thing around. And yes, he has allowed that decision 
that action to happen to us, but we take it on the flip side and we, we think about all the good things that happen to us. God allows those things. So uh, the unrighteous and righteous actions are allowed, but again, God is sovereign. So what God has told us upon last week, that he can do whatever he desires with this creation. He can allow whatever he wants to allow to happen to us. But in all of those things, if we believe and trust in him, everything is going to work out for our good. And then when God turns his attention to those who are, aren't saved, uh, he calls them, uh, they are the vessels that are led to destruction. He makes his power known to them. And he, he wants the unrighteous to realize that he is God. He is sovereign. And he has continuously extended his grace and mercy to all. God is long-suffering with all of us, and even especially those who are rebelling against him. So for anyone to claim that a man or a woman or anyone rather who does evil to another is getting away with something, the truth of the matter is that is not the case. Because you have to go back to Romans chapters, chapters 1 and 2 to really get an understanding of that. But in all things, God is long-suffering with everyone, and he has extended his mercy, especially to those who are rebelling against him. So we're going to continue on uh, with, this, with this understanding of God being the potter and all humans as being the clay. So tonight, we're going to be looking at verses 26 uh, through 30, and uh, there are going to be some, some prophetic um, undertones that we're going to see within these coming texts, but it's all going to make sense as it relates to um, why God has called uh, us, the church, into the position that we are. So Paul is going to use the scriptures found in Hosea chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, to say that the Gentiles were included as well. And we're going to um, touch upon that verse in just a moment, those verses in a moment. The scripture shows us that that in order to be called God's people, one must accept him and to suggest otherwise is a misunderstanding of scripture. And that has always been the thing. Now we know in the Old Testament, the reason why God brought out Israel as a nation was through the faith of Abraham. But God told him very something very specific and something very powerful and prophetic in nature when he told him that the his seed shall be greater than the sands of the, of, of the shore which means that he won't be able to number uh, his seed. And so what God was telling Abraham is that I'm going to raise up a, a, a group of people who are going to come in the same faith as you, which that is believe in me. That's why Abraham was accounted for righteous. And in the process of that, God said, I'm going to establish a nation through you. And that nation was, uh, we know to be Israel. And God said that he was going to use that nation to display himself to in order that they may be a light to the world. Because remember, at that particular point in time, everyone in the world was a pagan. There was no Gentile or Jew during the, during the time of Abraham. But Abraham simply believed God because God knew that Abraham was going to accept the calling. And so as God started the process of sanctifying Abraham and his lineage, so to speak, that he set apart a nation for himself that would arise in the midst of all the nations of the earth and be the light to show all human beings that there is only one God 
and that every other God that was served at that time was a corruption. It was a corruption of the knowledge of God. This goes all the way back to um, the flood era. When uh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, before the flood, this goes all the way back to then, essentially when Adam fell in the garden. We see the corruption happening. And as time progressed on, the Bible lets us know that man grew wicked and grew, and, and, and all of these different things that happened. And so we see the flood coming as a result of that. And then even after the flood, the wickedness still continued. There was still a corruption of the knowledge of God. And uh, that has continued today. And so through that corruption, through that rebellion, through that not believing in uh, the true nature and true character of God, what arises out of that is unrighteousness. What arises out of that is idolatry. What arises out of that is religion. What arises out of that are, are man-made ideas and man-made religions that seem to build up man and lessen God. And so through the course of all of those things happening, Abraham was called out of that because God understood who Abraham was and God knew that Abraham would accept that calling. And so because Abraham believed God, even though he failed God multiple times, his heart was still towards God, God called him righteous and out of that he prophesied to him and for and told him, I wouldn't say God prophesied, but God told him exactly what was going to happen through his lineage. And so therefore we see the nation of Israel arising. And now all of us who are saved are considered to be children of Abraham because of our faith in Christ. So now we are a part of God's family. We have now entered into his covenant because of our faith. And we're going to see further in our study tonight how God has always willed for every person to come back into his family. So, but but there are, are many people who, who are claiming that God never intended for us to be so. And, and, if, and if you hold to that view, then John 3.16 cannot be valid. And if you also hold to that view, then the scripture that said God desires that not any man should perish, but that all men come to everlasting life. But the church has been called to preach the word of God because Israel has failed to do so. Now, we know that Israel rejected Christ. And even to this very hour, the majority of Jews the, uh, are, are in a rebellion against God. So when you look at the several million of Jews that comprise today's time, the nation of Israel today does not recognize Jesus Christ as the Messiah. They still are awaiting the Messiah, and yet they are still claiming to be children of Abraham. They're still claiming to be the followers of Jehovah. They are living in rebellion. Now, there is a small remnant, and we're going to touch upon that tonight as well, where God says that he has always had a remnant. So there, there has always been that small percentage that has still confessed Christ as Lord and, and recognizes Christ as the Messiah and follows God as intended. But the majority of the nation as a whole has rejected Jesus Christ. And so they are living in sin and in rebellion. And the prophet Isaiah has prophesied 
that there is a coming a time that they must go through tribulation. And that is getting into the great tribulation period. But that's not the crux of what we're going to be studying tonight. But that's just still laying the foundation as to why Paul is going to use the prophet Isaiah in making his point as it relates to um, uh, being called into God's family. And so um, we all know that in order for one to obtain righteousness, it is through faith in Christ. So after we go through these verses tonight, uh, we're going to understand how Hosea chapter 1 verses 9 through 10 relates to Gentiles, what Isaiah prophesied concerning Israel, why God will use the tribulation to bring Israel to repentance, and why God is called Lord of the Sabbath. And so if you got your Bibles open, turn with me to Romans chapter 9, and we're going to start in uh, verse number 26. But before we do that, we got we got to go back and set the foundation here from verse number 24. Um, because one of the things that we have to understand, and Paul is is bringing this out, is, is that in the previous verses that we looked at upon last week, God talked about um, God's glory. He talks about He talked about God having vessels of mercy, and uh, He relates that to us as the Gentiles, because He starts to talk about that God has called not only the Jews. Now, and, and going back to what I mentioned in my introduction, we know that God called Israel out of the loins of Abraham. And he also called the Gentiles as well. So really what God was doing was basically calling all humans to himself. Because remember, prior to Abraham, there was no Jew, there was no, no Gentile. And in the eyes of God, it has always been mankind. But yet, in order for God's work to be carried out, there has to be some type of separation. And so as the separation came forth with the birth of Israel and through their rejection, now we, the, the Gentiles, have come into the family of God and we understand that we have been called to a specific task. So God initiated the calling of all men. And so in the eyes of the Jews, remember, they claim to be the only one who were heirs of salvation. And they looked upon the Gentiles as, as one of being called dogs, as one that was not worthy of salvation. But yet God says, I have called them as well. And God initiated this calling through his divine will. And so Paul brings that out to say that God is the God of the Gentiles as well. And that's why he used Hosea chapter 2, verse 23, to say that he will call the Gentiles his people whom he had not called before. And that mindset it, it is going to continue on in our, our, our study tonight as well. And, and, and so we have to realize that God has a divine plan for everything, and we must agree with that divine plan. So here, let's go ahead and start right in verse number 26, where it says, and it shall come to pass that in that place where it is said unto them, you are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. So Paul, now let's stay with this idea here, or the subject line rather, of, of Paul using uh, Hosea to prove that God always wanted to include the Gentiles. So here, I'm going to bring up Hosea chapter 1, verses 9 through 10 here. I'm going to 
bring this up in my expositor study Bible. And as we can see here in verse nine, it says, then, then said God, call his name, lo amai, for you are not my people and I would not be your God. So lo, lo amai means not my people. And so as stated, the prophet's children symbolized step-by-step step, Israel fast coming calamity. There would be no reprieve because there would be no repentance. Now, the, now, the context of all of these verses here is, is when you start to get into uh, Hosea and who he is. Then now it transitions into Israel and understanding um, call God calling the individuals to be his whom he had not called before. So that's the idea here. So Paul is using the context of these verses to say the same thing applies to the Gentiles. Because here God is talking about being called, uh, uh, God is talking about certain people whom he has not called to be his people. And he then transitioned to talk about the regathering of Israel together, where he says in verse 10, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea. Remember, he told that to Abraham, which cannot be measured nor number, and it shall come to pass that in the place where it is said unto them, you are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, you are the sons of the living God. So in the context of this, uh, the writer here in Hosea was dealing with Israel to talk about this, the different facets of it that were not initially called his people, but now they are going to be called because they're going to flow into the children of Abraham to where the, the number of his children would be greater than the sands of the sea. This application here is now being applied to the Gentiles as well, because remember, the, the, the Lord said of us, you are not my people. Now, this Remember, in the eyes of God, we again, we were always meant to be a part of his family. He is dealing with the understanding of Israel. So remember, Israel thought that they themselves were the only heirs of salvation, and that nobody else outside of Israel was considered to be God's people. So God then speaks to that, essentially repeats it back to them, but then gives them a greater context to say, your understanding is not correct. That I desire to use you to then bring it to people whom I did not set aside to be called a nation where I was their God. Because remember, all the nations of the earth were pagans. They were in idolatry. God called Abraham out of idolatry. So you can see the corruption that was going on. And in the context of here is there is no contradiction between verses 9 and 10. Now, this is talking about the northern kingdom of Israel that we know was destroyed as a nation. But yet there, the, the, the people of Israel were not destroyed. And, and so what this is telling us, again, Israel is going to come back to their rightful place. And we, who were not initially called the nation of Israel, are now will be called children of God, and we will be considered to be children of Abraham, which flows right into the sand of the sea that cannot be measured, and we will be sons of the living God. So that goes right into the face of Israel's believing 
that nobody else could be called a son of God if they were not in the in the, the land of Israel, if they were not a part of Israel. And God is saying that is not so. So here in this particular first phrase that we see here upon the screen, that in the place where it is said unto them, you are not my people, there they shall be called the children of the living God. As we stay within the context of scripture, we know going back to verse 24, who was he talking about here? He was talking about the Gentiles. So this idea now continues to flow on down in verse 26. So Paul uses the scripture that we just read to include us, the Gentiles, as well. So what Paul is showing is that the Gentiles generally were not called God's people. And, and through my explanation of that, we, we can see why they were not. Because everyone was in idolatry. And they just simply rejected him. So because of their rejection and the fact a covenant was made by Abraham, who was not a Jew when God dealt with him. See, that's the thing that people also miss as well. He was not, he was not a Jew. The idea here is that it was always in God's plan to receive as his people those who were not formerly his people. Because again, going back to the Old Testament, Israel was the only nation that was calling themselves children of God, children of Jehovah. Everybody else was not because they were serving other false gods. So as stated before, it was always in the will of God to include every human being in his salvation plan. And we know this according to John 3.16. Why do you think God gave the vision to Peter? about the Gentiles. Remember when, uh, when Peter said, you know, Lord, I haven't touched any unclean thing. And then God showed him the vision of the animals. And God says, what I have cleaned, let no man call unclean. And uh, Peter understood that God was talking about the Gentiles here. So looking at that, looking, going back to Hosea here upon the screen, in the context of it, we know that God is talking about Israel, but the meaning of it is, 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 as Paul is using here in the context of it, there, there's a greater emphasis on it when you expand it even further. And so through that exp expansion of the meaning of it in the context of what Paul is writing here, this the, 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 the context behind it can be applied to, to us Gentiles, that we were essentially the low Ammonites. We're not God's, God's people because during that time, the Gentiles were not calling upon Jehovah. But now, through what Christ did for us at the cross, because he died for the entire world. He didn't die for Jews only. He died for the entire world. So now, who which we were not calling God before, through acceptance of Christ, we are now called sons of God. And God says, you are now my people that was not my people before because you were not calling upon my name before. But now that you are calling upon my name before, God says, I am your God and you are my people and you are the sons of the living God. And so because of that, we have now entered into the covenant that God promised Abraham and we are now considered to be children of Abraham that falls in line in what God told him about his lineage that would be greater than the sands of the sea. 
that you cannot number. It cannot be measured. So all of that is flowing into what Paul is dealing with here and setting the record straight as it relates to Gentiles. That's all Paul is doing here. Verse 27, Isaiah also cried concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. Now, Paul is in now transitioning to Israel and dealing with their rejection. So Paul is now showing how Isaiah prophesied certain things concerning Israel. So now the focus shifts away from the Gentiles. So, so Paul had to do this. So let's, let's just go back just a little bit further. And, and, and what we talked about on last week about God being the potter and the clay here. So God is dealing with some, some things that people were questioning him about. And as we continue to keep going back all the way up to some of the previous Bible studies that we had, we can see God dealing with man in certain ways, showing mercy and showing compassion, speaking to Moses concerning things, uh, proving the fact that God is righteous and uh, showing us how God through foreknowledge is able to know what an individual is going to do. So all of this is flowing in one logical progression to show us that God has a divine will and purpose. And God begins to touch on certain aspects of this to prove his point. And so he gets down to where we're studying concerning the Gentiles, because that's an aspect that God had to deal with, because the church was again in a state of not believing that the Gentiles had a right to receive grace and mercy from God that they were trying to say that they should be excluded, but God is saying, no, that they should be included. And so as God deals with that ideology, he then begins to bring out certain verses to show that he spoke this word concerning Israel, but the as, as more revelation is poured upon it, he then gives us the insight to say, that this can be applied to the Gentiles as well. So all of it is flowing together to go back to here to verse 21. Does the potter have power over the clay? Yes, he does. So man is in no position to tell God otherwise, to tell him that he is right or that he is wrong, or that some should not be uh, recipients of his grace and his mercy simply because they are not like one of them. So God deals with a whole host of things in this particular chapter here. And as he deals with all of that, now he transitions to, to focus specifically on Israel and what their future now holds. So that's why he that's why Paul is transitioning over to, to speaking to Israel now and leaving those other things alone. So God says that Isaiah prophesied certain things concerning them. Because remember, the potter has the right to do whatever he wants to with this clay. So when we talk about the prophet Isaiah crying unto Israel about their state, this means that he had a passionate utterance. 
he also cried in great anguish over them and the wickedness that they had turned to. So when you when you can you can see that whenever an individual turns away from God, the only thing that can come about is unrighteousness and wickedness. I mean that that's that's the only thing that can come forth. And and so Paul is now saying, Israel, God is it wants to speak to you now because you are in a state that he does not want you in because God has dealt with a great number of things from verse number one all the way down to verse number 26. Now, Paul begins to speak to them. The phrase, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved, means that all of Israel did not know the Lord. From the beginning of their inception, God all has always had a remnant who were saved, which simply means a small number that did not give into the unrighteousness of the day. Now, in this case, we don't know what the true number was. So this is also a prophetic word as it relates to a small number of people in Israel surviving the great tribulation. This same verse can be applied to the church as well. Remnant in the Greek means a few. So put this in its proper context today out of nearly the 8 billion people that are in the world today, there is only a small few that are truly serving the one true living God. The rest of the world falls in line to what Jesus told us. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and there are many that will find that wide gate. And the, there are few that would take that narrow road that leads to life. Because again, people have chosen willfully to follow things of unrighteousness, to follow after other gods that do not have any light. Now, when you study the gospel of John, you will clearly see that God the Father is constantly at work. He is constantly drawing people to himself, pointing people to Jesus Christ. Jesus made that perfectly clear throughout the Gospel of John. So we will see at times people from different religions and different backgrounds come into knowledge of Christ. We will also see many who claim to be followers of Christ falling away, the great apostasy that was prophesied in the end of days in, in the book of First and Second Thessalonians. So it works both ways. Uh, when Jesus gave the parable of the seeds falling on the ground, he gave the four different categories. Now, and then when it relates to the entire world as a whole, we can understand that man has the majority of human beings are rebellion against God through their own choice. Because when we go back to Romans chapter one, we know through the scripture that the Bible says that God has put on the heart of every single person the knowledge that he exists. And that God also has written in creation to serve as a testimony to his existence. So we have two things that God places in the front of all humans to testify of his existence. Now, people can choose to act upon that, 
and cry out to God. Because remember, God is always working. He's always moving by his spirit to draw men to himself. Or men can reject that drawing. And sadly, the majority has rejected the drawing. Israel as a nation, as I mentioned earlier, has rejected that drawing. They have rejected Christ. And so the phrase, though the number of, I'm sorry, so we can see through this phrase that Paul is, is, is showing that the majority is not saved, that God has always had the remnant in Israel. Verse 28, for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. So the phrase, for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, refers to the coming tribulation when Israel will suffer greatly and finally return to God. This again was prophesied in Matthew chapter 24, verse 22. The phrase, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. This is referring to the second coming found in Revelation chapter 19. Work in the Greek text is logos, and it should have been translated as word in this verse. So the idea is this phrase is a prophetic utterance and may suggest a proper interpretation of this verse should have, and many suggest the proper interpretation of this verse should have been, for he will finish the prophetic word and, and cut it short in righteousness, because a short prophetic word will the Lord make upon the earth. So what this scripture here and this totality of it is revealing to us is that there are many prophecies which are yet to be fulfilled. And once it begins, it will be fulfilled rapidly. So when the coming catching away happens, we're going to see a whole lot of things come quickly. This is why it is viewed as a short work, because righteousness will prevail over the Antichrist. Verse number 29, and as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabbath had left us a seed, we have been as Sodom, Sodom and, and been made like unto Gomorrah. The phrase... And as Isaiah said, this is coming from Isaiah chapter 1, verse 9. So in Isaiah, let me see if I can pull this up really quickly. In Isaiah, because see, God worked through the prophets. And he, he, he spoke a lot concerning Israel. He spoke a lot concerning Christ. So in reality, there should not have been any misunderstanding. So here in Isaiah chapter 1, in verse number 9, look at what he said. He says, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. So in a sense, there was always two Israels. There was the remnant which served the Lord and which was always very small, and we know this, and the balance of Israel which rebelled against the Lord. It is the same in the modern church. Consequently, consequently, every blessing experienced by Israel, whatever it may have been, was because of the small remnant. Once again, it is the same in the modern church. So there is a call to repentance for Israel and for the entire nation as well. But in the context of this, Paul is reiterating what Isaiah had prophesied. He says, except the Lord of Sabbath had left us a seed. Sabbath had left us a seed. And so this Lord of Sabbath means the Lord of hosts, which refers to God as the Lord of the great army. So at the second coming of Christ, the Lord will bring with him a great heavenly host 
which will defeat the Antichrist. You can read all of that in Ezekiel chapter 39. The seed is the remnant which will remain after the battle of Armageddon. The phrase, we have been like Sodom and we have been like Gomorrah, goes back to the destruction of these two cities, which destroyed everyone that was there. You can find that in Genesis chapter 19. The idea here is that Israel will be brought back to the Lord and it will be done through great judgment. The reason Sodom and Gomorrah are mentioned is Israel was just as evil as they were, according to Matthew chapter 11, verse 24. So this is necessary for Israel to understand their place where they are currently and what God has said concerning their future. So again, remember the scripture shifted. It seemed to shift greatly from one thought to the next. But it was necessary for Israel to understand these things because remember, they had a misunderstanding of, of, of the word of God before, which God dealt with all of those things. And now he transitioned to deal with their hearts and where their position is currently. In last verse of tonight, in verse 30, it says, what shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which follow not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness even the righteousness which is of faith. So the question is, what shall we say? Then means that there is nothing good to say about the spiritual condition of Israel. So again, there on the one hand is claiming that they are the heirs of salvation, that nobody else is as good as them. God deals with a series of things in the first 26 verses. He shifts to them to show their true condition, gives them a little background to say that you know, the majority of you guys have always been in disobedience. But there is coming a judgment, and God says, I'm going to make some things right with you. So he's bringing this out to show them where they truly are. The phrase that the Gentiles which follow not after righteousness means that the majority of the Gentiles did not pursue God or his righteousness. They were idol worshipers, and they did not believe in the God of Israel, let alone pursue him. All you got to do is just read the Old Testament, and then we'll bear that out. The phrase have attained to righteousness is referring to those Gentiles, is, for, is refers to the Gentiles who obtained righteousness, even though it had not been sought by them. How did they do it? The next phrase tells us, even the righteousness, which is a faith, is the only righteousness that God would accept. Righteousness is that which is right, but is right as defined by God and not man. So, so as we close out um, our study here tonight, there was there was a couple of things I wanted to to highlight in what we looked at. Number one, we 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 got we finished a thought of, of of the remnant here about how God has called the Gentiles, right? Because He had to bring this out because of the context of what He was talking about, being prepared for the glory. The Potter is able to do whatever He wishes. He had to continue on and finish with that to show us that God has all in, in, in his plan has always been all of humanity, Jews and Gentiles. That's why the Bible tells us within Christ, there is neither Jew, no Greek, uh, bond nor slave, no male, no female. The, the, it's all about Christ. It's all about the righteousness of Christ. And to say that some a, a particular person or, or some different groups of people are excluded it's not true. So God had to finish that up and deal with that. And he used Hosea and what was spoken of there to bring a greater revelation to it. So as you get one part of the revelation, yes, you know he's talking about Israel, 
you know that they were split and divided. And then one group just did not want to have anything to do with God whatsoever. So God says, you know, you, you don't belong to me because you have linked yourself to another. I've divorced you. And essentially, I've let you fall into your wickedness, your wicked ways and so forth. But then when God brings a further revelation to him, like we just seen here, he, the, the concept of that, the context of that can be applied to the Gentiles as well. To say on one hand, God is saying like, yes, you had a part of you, Israel, that did not want to have nothing to do with me. But but as, as you turn away from your condition, I once divorced you and didn't call you my people. Now I'm called, Now I can call you my people because you have come back to me. You have exhibited faith in me. So likewise, as, as God expands upon that understanding, he says, I'm, I'm inserting the Gentiles in that as well. Just like I told you that all of those years ago in Hosea, if you if the, 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 the further context of it, the, the greater revelation of it is applied to the Gentiles that they fell into the same category as you did before. That the, I, I wasn't calling them my people, not because I didn't love them, but because they did not want me. They were, they were into their idolatry, but now they turn away from that idolatry and they have accepted me. They've exhibited faith in me. Now I can call them my children. And it goes back to what Jesus himself said concerning the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He says, you sitting around standing up here thinking that you're serving God, but yet you do not do the work of my father. You do the work of your father, the devil. That you are, you are a thief, you are a murderer, a liar, just like he was because of what your true heart is. And that's why he used the two brothers, Esau and Jacob, to, to show them it's all about the person's heart. That if you look at it from the natural perspective, yes, Esau should have had the birthright, but he gave it up because he didn't want God. That's why God says, Jacob, I love and Esau, I hate it. It wasn't that God did not love Esau, but it was just Esau rejected him. And so when you reject God, God's going to reject you. That's just as simple as how it is. If you don't want to call God your father, he is not going to call you his child. And the only way to fix that is if you turn from your unrighteousness, <coughs> excuse me, and turn to him and accept his righteousness. That's why Paul says now we can call him Abba Father. And we're going to get we're going to get more into that as we go into further study. It is because of our faith. So as we transition over here, now we who once could not call God Father, now we can because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And so God is saying that I will call you my people now. And he is using Hosea to give us further insight further expanding upon that statement to say this is applicable to the Gentiles as well. And then as God deals with all of that, he then transitions to Israel to now deal with where they currently are and how he is going to bring them back to himself at a future event. So Paul begins to remind the reader of the prophecies that were given by Isaiah. And then he begins to give more insight into what Jesus has said in the book of Matthew to let them know that their condition that they're in right now is not pleasing to God, but there is going to come a day 
where Israel will come back. So now the call in response to the people who are there at this particular time should have been repentance. Call upon God to repent. Respond to what he was saying. Accept the revelation that he gave concerning all the topics that he spoke of in the first 26 verses and come back into that right fellowship with him. And so that's how we're going to end tonight's study. And as we round out upon next week, we're going to be looking at um, verse the, the remaining few verses, verses 31 through 33 here. That's what we're going to look at on next week to round out uh, our, our study in Romans chapter 9 here. And, and, and so I hope that you are fully seeing what God has stated about a thing. To know that he is sovereign and, and, and whatever he says, we shall believe it and know that it's going to come to pass. So I hope that you've enjoyed tonight's study tonight. I pray that you are, uh, are, are, are blessed and taking advantage of the tools that this ministry has outlaid. And as you can see upon the screen, there is our church website that you can go and visit, our Facebook page as well, and the website for the Bible study notes that I uh, personally maintain myself. Check out the podcast that we got going on there where you can get more Bible teaching and different topics that we're going to be uploading as time moves on. But I just want you all to stay encouraged to know that God is with us all. And uh, as we hold on to him, God's going to lead and guide us in the correct path. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you this evening for this opportunity to study your word. I give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor for what you have said and done. And I pray tonight that everything was said in truth, that knowledge, revelation, and understanding of the scripture has come to the hearer. I give you all the praise and I give you all the glory. And I thank you all for, for joining tonight's study and God willing, I'll see you back here next week. Be blessed in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, 